All right. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Bob Turner. We're coming at you live again with the Summit Podcast. Uh, this one's virtual. Sometimes we're we're in studio at the Content Room in Portland at 95 India Street with Mitchell Powers. Uh, today we're connecting with Charlie Ruiz uh, from CLR Connection. He's a performance coach and does a lot of mindset, communication, and identity stuff. Super excited to talk to this guy. Um, former professional athlete. Um, the, uh, guys, I got to tell you how excited I am. Like the level of guest on our podcast just seems to keep going up every week, and I'm I'm contact I'm connecting with these guys, and and I just feel like I'm getting better every week by talking with with cool people. So podcast originally started by I called it ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and and really we're just out talking to cool cats doing cool stuff. And um, this dude played sports. I'm I'm you know I was a former three sport athlete you know, topped out in high school, but didn't, didn't go higher than that. But, but I, I love talking with guys, um, that have done stuff in sport. So Charlie, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Um, you're out on the West coast. We couldn't be farther apart. Uh, but before we started talking today, you mentioned you were coming to Sebago Lake this summer. So maybe, maybe we'll get a chance to, to connect in person. So thanks for being here. Um, I'm not going to go through this background. Tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are, and what your game is. Sure, Bob. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And yes, yeah, so hopefully I'll be able to see you here in a couple of weeks. Um, but the short of it is, I'm born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area and spent my life on a baseball diamond. Uh, you know, as from right. five years old to, to truly, I mean, up until, you know, retirement at, at the ripe age of 25, uh, I lived on the baseball diamond. Uh, was sure. never necessarily that, that, that top, top tier guy, the recruit. Uh, but just loved the game and was fortunate to go to junior college and get some repetitions and then land a scholarship and then from from a year of grinding it out at the at the division one level and at long beach state in southern california was able to see my name pop up on the draft board in 2009 and sign with the rockies and and started to truly live a childhood dream that i never thought was going to be something right. i thought about that had to be something draft day draft day yeah i, I I just remember thinking through it. I was talking about this the other day. Now that I'm kind of opening up the door a little bit, I've kind of dismissed it. Uh, thinking back to that moment, it was nothing I ever thought about. I just wanted to continuously get better and help contribute my teams along the way. And then once you got to the Division One level and scouts started to come and agents started to reach out to you, I was like, oh, this might be actually something that is in my future. And then... The mindset didn't really shift at all. It was just still go, go get guys out and play the game that you love. Um, but I definitely yeah. had to start to think about it in a different way. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Like, um, and so how, I guess, talk to me about the, the career. I mean, you got drafted. Where did it go from there? And how long did you, did you, did you hang in there? Yeah, yeah. So, so what was the, what, what was the kind of the, the linear path? Yeah. yeah. I'll start at the junior college level just briefly because I think those are two of the most transformational years that I had. When you get to the junior college that I played at in, in Hayward, California, uh, in, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, like, transformational, right? We were the gladiators and we had the kind of gratitude that we would talk about. And I still have deep relationships with some friends and coaches there um, because that really was the mindset shift for me, uh, that, that I can't handle everything, um, that as long as I put my, my effort and the work into uh, the day and focus on the moment, one pitch at a time, one day at a time. That's where it all kind of started for me. That's why I have to mention it. Uh, from there, going to Long Beach State and getting introduced to the godfather of sports psychology, Ken Revisa, kind of mapped into my professional route where I had no idea that I was going to be drafted. And the next thing you know, you're getting calls. 
And they said, yeah, you can expect yourself to fall within the fifth to 10th round. So of course you're just looking at, back in the day, it wasn't online or it wasn't like a TV thing. It was like a scroll, like a small scroll. Right. And I remember Wait for your name to pop up. Exactly. And I remember being there at my sister's house with all my close family, friends and loved ones. Um, and I still remember it, right? Pick 301, 10th round, the date. I remember what I was wearing. Uh, it was elation. And the best part is that I was with all of the people that love, uh, that, that I supported and sacrificed for me over the years. And uh, it was, you know, it was a, a hell of a start to a, a short-lived journey due to, due to shoulder surgery that I'm sure we'll talk about. Sure. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's got to be tough. And so few people actually even get drafted, right? Let alone, you know, make it to the to the show, as they say. Yeah. Um, but that that had to be something, um, like you said. I mean, even if it stopped right there, you know. Um, so that was cool. So you, you played in the minors for a bit. Um, yes. And then talk to me about uh, the shoulder and what happened. Sure, yeah. I was in the minors for a bit. And, uh, and through that experience, I think the, the first lesson that I remember getting, at least when I started playing, was the reality of what I was walking into, of people who were all just as, I mean, just as good, if not better, right? These were, these were guys who were veterans, right? Where I was first sent to a small city in Washington. They call it short season. You walk into a locker room. I was a small guy. I'm about 6'1", 6'2", with cleats on, I would say. Uh, I, I didn't have that, that, the, the frame that a lot of these gentlemen had. But what I had was a mindset that I wanted to employ out there. And when they told me, hey, you're going to be our closer, which is what I did, it was like, all right, it's go time. Like, leverage, your, leverage all the framework, all the training that you put in. Like, right. Go out there and be that guy. And they gave me the ownership. And something I like to share is that when it comes to being a closer, there's no better person out there on, on a baseball diamond to have conviction than the person who's there at the end of the game. It's also why they're the most weird. And it's also, most, also why they have the craziest routines because they have to be convicted in who they are out there. And you got a short, you have to have a short memory too, right? <laughs> and you have to be the most resilient. And that was part, right. of, part of the lessons that I learned real quickly and had a couple great years. Uh, that first season was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, the following season when I was out in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, I threw a pitch, felt funny, and Done. found out I was throwing 83 miles an hour, rehab for the whole rest of the season and that next off season. eventually having shoulder surgery almost two years later. Uh, I never quite returned to where I was at and had to hang them up after rehabbing for nearly 20, 24 months. Uh, came back wow. and had to close the chapter on my own terms. Yeah. That's got to be rough. And, you know, that's because that, I mean, you talk a lot about identity and that we get into that and that's part of your coaching and your, your program. Um, but here you were with a real need to almost re reinvent yourself, right? So, hey, baseball is my thing. This is who I am. I'm a baseball player. How long did it take for you to, to kind of digest like, okay, this, this is not going to be a long-term path. Where do I go from here? How long did it take? Probably a good year, two years before I realized I was actually going to be done. And that was during my rehab journey. I tried not to think about it too much. Um, but I went back to school. And something that people don't, numbers show that when you sign a major, major league contract with a major league team, even though I was in the minor leagues, when you sign a contract with that organization and you put money aside for school, you have two years two years to be able to tap into that money to then use for your education. And there was only like 20% of people who use it. I found that number out and it blew my mind. 
So I was like, I am making sure. I went back to school because I signed as a junior because that's when you can get drafted. Sure. And I was in there like in a sling, like finishing (laughs) up my communications degree course. You know, the only person born in the 80s, right? I was was that guy. Because I, I, I wanted to prepare for it, even though I didn't want to put my mind too far in front of the fact that this may be a reality. Uh, so I grinded. I was in Long Beach, went back, coached at my junior college when I finished my rehab and got my degree. And at that point, I kind of had this inkling that my career was going to be over. But the best, the best advice I got was from a previous guy I played with uh, who was on the Yankees. And he mentioned to me, find a way to close your chapter on your own terms. Even if it's not on your terms, find a way to be able to close this, this book. And that, yeah. that became my new mission, probably about two years. I imagine that cripple, cripples some guys mentally, um, having to walk away from the game, the thing that they love, especially if they're, you know, going to be super talented, are super talented, are going to be going a long distance, and all of a sudden they get brought up short, and they get something that they just, you know, you're not getting by this, dude, you know? Um, tough pill to swallow, I'm sure. It is. It is. And it, and that took a while to probably get get over after the reality of, okay, you give yourself a window. 25 years old, if you're not in double-A, you're knocking on the door of the big leagues, start thinking about your next career. Right. You want to have that mindset. We hear that with athletes all the time. Like, there's no, there's no plan B. I'm making it to the bigs. I'm making it to the show. I do agree with that sentiment because an athlete, if you tell them to think about anything else, they may see that as a negative. I'm not, I'm not fully invested. Right. What I help with now and what I tried to remind myself then was that you are more than this sport. You have so many other pieces of your identity that make you amazing at this sport. Now you just get to tap into them a little bit more. Uh, right. And that was, it took six, seven years to find that out, Bob. But after, after yeah. that journey, I got there. No, I had that a little bit on a different level, but I've done a, a bunch of Ironman triathlon training stuff and racing. And, you know, if you put me, and people that have heard me speak, well, this is not Bob being cocky. If you put me on an Ironman course, I'm an animal, right? You don't want me gnawing at your ankles late in the game because I'm not going away, right? But I found it hard to take that same tenacity and apply it to business. And and when I finally said, all right, what what is the difference? Like, I, I've got this, like, on the weekends, I'm like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I hate you. I hate you. End line to end line. We're going to go, you know. Uh, but in business, I was like, oh, well, that's okay. And, you know, that, I know you're going to be late today. And, well, you know, and I, I didn't have that killer mindset. So it's it's been a real shift for me to try to incorporate and bring in and apply to business the same, you know, I'll just say killer instinct, you know, that mental toughness of sport, if you will. Sure. Like where I don't want to lose. I don't want to be second, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I can relate, even though it's, you know, certainly not on a professional level, but um, had to be tough. So, like, you're helping people now, right? Uh, so that's different than, you know, being a teammate on a sports and, you know, doing that and worrying about your own trajectory through and into professional athletics. But um, where did the switch happen mentally? And, and how did you make that transition and, and realize, okay, I've, I've got something here I can, I've got more to offer. Yeah. When did the switch happen? Yeah. Probably about six, seven years after floundering around in software sales and trying to figure out who I was outside of my sport. 
Yep. Part of the reason why I, I'm so passionate about doing the work that I did get to do now. Uh, I, th I think after I finished, Bob, they finish, you finish playing, and then the default is get into medical device sales or go work at Enterprise Rent-A-Car because they help athletes. And yeah. like that's, that's the most advice. You didn't say that's yeah. It. yeah, you didn't sales, right? You're competitive. And I didn't know where to go. I was the first to graduate from, you know, from my family. And I mean, my mother and father are my heroes. They were supportive in every possible way. I just didn't know where to go. I was literally walking around software companies interviewing with a resume that said professional baseball that no one cared about. Right. So I didn't know who I was outside of that and found myself in a couple of sales and marketing roles and worked in software for seven, eight years. And then eventually found myself into this communications firm where I walked in. I said, look, I have to give them maybe the seller that I was getting selling software and commit to this growth and to learn to get back into who I am, which was, in my, in, in my opinion, someone who um, liked this feeling of the unknown, stepping into an environment where I'm growing and learning all the time. So this communications firm was like, we have content, we teach leadership development across Silicon Valley, some of the giants in the world of technology. We have our trainings, we're gonna put you in front of the room. And you're gonna teach, you're gonna train, you're gonna facilitate. And Bob, <laughs> how'd that feel? <laughs> the, it was awful for a first few months, but that feeling being in this back room on this couch and, and, and going through this, I was training. It was true training, right? I'm getting beat up left and right. You got other people that are, that are trying to be facilitators. It was like, it was an amazing environment to learn and regrow. And the way I talk about it now, I shared this yesterday at an offsite that I did. It's the closest that I can get that I've gotten to game day. Right. Right. You show up. Yep. I have the ball. It's the end of the game. I may have my stuff today. I might not. Maybe I have my stuff, but the umpire strike zone is small. Maybe I throw a good pitch, but the, the hitter happens to know what's coming and hits a home run. Or I throw a bad pitch and he still swings over it. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I throw a good pitch and the shortstop bob bobbles the ball. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I have to control me. I have to be prepared and deliver at my best. I right. show up to a training, whether I'm teaching influence, executive presence, feedback, storytelling. I don't know what I'm going to get from the participants. I don't know if they're going to be engaged, but I get to go in there every day, still a little nervous and see what happens. And I fell in love with that. And that was about five years ago. I've noticed that same thing. Like for me, I've done some speaking, yeah, very small scale. But uh, if somebody would say, are you nervous? I'm like, no, I'm fired up. Are you shitting me? I want to burn this place to the ground. Let's go, you know, and it's fun. And, and I'm like, yeah, well, hey, I might screw up, but I'll just say, hey, I screwed up, you know, and we'll, we'll move on. But have a hell of a good time with it. And uh, for me, it was, you know, I was in my contracting business and, and, you know, I was in a coaching group and I found people reaching out to me and, you know, I was just helping them, just calling and talking with them, helping them through difficult conversations or something with a customer or something with an employee. And, and, and I started to feel like, well, you know, maybe I have something here, you know, and I definitely felt like I had more to give. So at the end of last year, I said, hey, stepping in the coaching space and I'm here to help people and just come from a place of service and see where it goes. That's it. The highest form.
my yeah. CEO, uh, I, I love what she used to say, and it is that the highest form of humanity is to be of service. And I think that's been something that I didn't realize was so in me over the course of my life, whether it's from my parents or the influence over the years. But I mean, yeah, service is, is, is everything. Uh, well, it comes in many ways. I, I, I always thought of it as well. If I'm going to be of service, I'm going to give. I've got to go down to the to the soup kitchen and do four or five hours of, of stuff of community service there. I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's a bunch of different ways I can help people. Why not do it in a way that best suits me that's in my wheelhouse? And that kind of stuff is in my wheelhouse. It feels good. And when people say, hey, do more of that, I finally started listening. And, and all of a sudden, here we go. We're starting a podcast. We're doing some coaching and, and uh, having a blast and, and, and trying, to, trying to figure out how to have more than 24 hours in a day. You know, so... Yeah. It sounds like you and I have done similar things and, and kind of had a, a transition. It, it's kind of fun and it's kind of reinvigorating, isn't it? Very reinvigorating. And I think that that's part of what we get to offer and do and, and encourage. And it's a lot of the work that I do with my clients that have very, very well-established careers in technology and business. What I realize is that when they don't ask questions on what matters to them and who they are outside of maybe their career because in this case for me it was sport but for them maybe it's the path of MBA finance or MBA tech and then they they know this there's this linear path when you don't ask somebody or when they don't ask themselves what exactly about that job do they enjoy and who are they doing it for is it intrinsic is it extrinsic and you have this time kind of figuring out what parts of your identity are serving you right it eventually comes back. So with my younger, yeah. with my with my younger clients, people who are earlier in their career, I lead with it. Like, what are your four pillars of building? Like, what are your what's the foundation to build your house? And what are the four pillars? Right. Let's play with it. Let's yeah. figure out what those are, and let's make sure you're aligned. And then that same person, ten years later, they've got this crazy job, ton of responsibility. We're having the same conversation. Hmm. And part of my work is making sure that they're aligned to that. And when they are, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It sounds like you've got a, a great niche. Are a lot of your clients from the professional sports arena or is it just run the gamut? Starting to dabble in sports more. Yep. It's been a transition for me. I originally had thought helping folks transition from sport to, to their next career um, also, like military, right? Getting them outside of that identity and getting them into the career next was was where I had originally intended to jump off from my previous organization. But yeah. then what I realized what is that a lot of the work that I've enjoyed doing is after folks have transitioned and they have landed that mm-hmm. next job, they are an enterprise sales leader, they are a CEO, they're a founder, they, they are a manager or director of a specific team, and they want to maintain their peak performance... They want to maintain their level and then have that translate and to be communicated through their team and then get them on that same page. Right. Those are the people that I've really enjoyed working with. So now it's yeah. less on the transition from, it's more on the transition into that next stage of who they are as a leader and then it's sustaining that performance. Well, isn't it it's cool too when you see someone that's attained a high level of success and they're not satisfied, right? And they're, they're hungry for more or they want to share it with their team or now they're trying their vision starts to transfer to, all right, what kind of culture can I create here? 
what kind of legacy can I leave? Yeah, not just so much how much money do I make? Because a lot of these guys, they've got plenty of money. They've got the things that they want. And they start to get, they're a little bit older and they go, well, okay, how am I going to leave my mark? Right? Exactly. The, the legacy question comes up. The, the environment that they're in, whether it's their, their, their family or it's their, their family that's at work, right? Their, their people, how can I serve them? Then we get into service, right? That highest form of humanity that we started with. And for me, as long as it aligns to what cares, what they care about, all right, let's go. I got it. Like, let's make sure that you are in line and you are in tune with that. But people don't take that time to ever really do it. And that right. kind of sparked it, Bob, for me, why I decided to jump off and start my own uh, company. And still, like, gracious for the communications from, still, still work with them quite a bit. Um, I, I love their, their content and, and how they show up for organizations. But something that sparked me in doing this was having a conversation with somebody working on a presentation from like a summer internship before they joined this big company. Sure. And I remember to this day, to this day, I remember the call. I remember her face. I was working with her on a presentation. Crazy presentation. Amazing. The very beginning of the presentation, there was a small about me section. And of course, it says name, and then it said university degree. So I simply asked, I said, what else is there about you? Like right. name, degree, hometown, right? Like what else? Yeah. And she looked at me like I asked a really insane question. Like it was like, wait, what do you mean? I'm like, what makes you smile? Like truly, what makes you smile? Nothing. And then to the point where I almost felt like I saw and I felt like a, like, like, like a tear, right? I saw. And it, it almost broke me. And I said, you know what? Your presentation is going to be amazing. You are brilliant. And you are going to do amazing things. But if there's anything that you take away from this hour presentation call, it's that you have that answer for every single, every single stage of your life. She thanked me. She left. I went running that afternoon, listened to a podcast. And before that, I talked to my CEO and she said, what are you going to go do? I was like, I'm going to help myself 10 years ago. Who was that girl? Yep. I was like, and, and I'm going to help not only her, but I'm gonna help other people that are dealing with that because that broke my heart. Right. As it broke my heart, I'm running and listening to, I think it was Ed Milet podcast and he was talking to some other brand. It was another person, I think a Van Hayden or it was Ed Milet podcast talking about Rory, Rory Hayden, maybe. Yes. So it was the Ed Milet podcast with him talking about brand. Yes. And if he's, and if you're looking to find what's your purpose and who you should be serving in the world, ask yourself, who were you 10 years ago and what did you need help with and what breaks your heart? Yeah. Bob, I literally yeah. just told that to somebody. So then when I go <laughs> run, I stopped in my tracks, paused, had this reflective moment. And I was like, you're right where you need to be, Charlie. Keep going. Yeah. And that was, you know, huh. a year and a half ago at this point. Yeah. It's funny. I, I would talk with people a lot about, uh, they, people would ask me, you know, what do you do to get through an Iron Man? And you, you've obviously done some things at a high level. I'm like, yeah, I, I use a lot of visualization, right? And uh, I didn't know anything. This is my last Iron Man was 2019, but I did 06, 08, whatever. Back, so, like, 
I would get in a spot visual, visual uh, visualization wise where I would be getting goosebumps on a run. When you said running, it made me think of it. So like I was doing, I would see myself on the course going across the finish line. Like I was doing manifestation and visualization before I even really knew what it was. So that's one, one of the things for me lately where I'm like, shit, I mean, I already do a lot of this stuff. A lot of this stuff already comes to me like it's in me. You know, so when I start talking about stuff, like, I'm like, this is just what you do, right? Yeah. Like, I guess I feel fortunate that I have that, that gene or trait or whatever it is, where to me, it's just normal. Like, yeah, if we're going to, well, if we're going to try to do something, let's see ourselves doing it down the road, you know? And, and that's where the mental frameworks, that's where the mental programming comes in, right? You know right. it. It's something you applied. Helping somebody else in business, you mentioned earlier, like, how does this translate? How can I bring myself, my Iron Man, Bob's Iron Man self to my, my client, right. my corporate world? It's that right there. Yeah. I shared that the other day when we walked up before we were doing the offsite. What do I do? First thing when I walked up, I got, you know, 50 people, leaders. I'm nervous, but nervous. Yeah. Okay. Let me go ahead and see the space. Yeah. I go in, I step in the room, I see all the chairs, I close my eyes. And I have a moment of me delivering what I had just prepped my whole night for. And then all of a sudden you show up, they say, hey, guess what? That 45-minute slide or that 45-minute content that you have, we got to condense that into 17 and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got, it. I got it. Right? Yeah. That's the same thing I do when I go to a baseball field on the road. You're walking up to USC. I've never been there. Okay. Let me go ahead and get out to the mound and go through my mental programming. Right. Let yeah. me play the vision work. Let me go ahead and right. dive into that. I've been here yep. before. One, two count, three, two count. Close your eyes. Get it done. Same thing. It's just helping those leaders in this in the business world as they prepare for their keynote, as they prepare for that big pitch. Yeah. That's it. And and you run into this a lot. And I've I've been running into it a little bit with my people too, is like like head trash or or limiting beliefs or imposter syndrome. Those, those kinds of things that all kind of bang around in the same pot, right? They're all part of the same soup. And um, how do you, like, what are a couple of strategies where you might be working with somebody uh, to, to kind of get beyond that? You might say, well, they need more self-confidence. And you don't simply ha increase somebody's self-confidence by saying, hey, you need to increase your self-confidence. There's some strategies and tactics that go along with that. But how, what are some things you've seen work and uh, taking a person that might be feeling like, hey, that's not for me, or I'm not worthy of that. Mm, yes, I have them think about when it was. Okay. When they were worthy, uh, when they do feel like that they were able to have, you, you may have heard the, the concept like a personal highlight reel, right? You have your top 10, sports yeah. center top 10. Uh, if they are familiar with sports, I reference sports center. I'm like, what's your top 10? Yeah. yeah. We dive into them. Why? What were they? How? Who were you thinking? Like, who were How you around? You what were you thinking about? How did you feel, right? Like getting them to almost put themselves back in there. Right. And then building, building the muscle from there, right? Of, okay, I have a moment. And then the second piece is, and there's a ton of different names that you can leverage, but like for me, it's like I, I lean into the, to the community, the starting five of who's going to remind you of that or push you to get back there. And it can be very simple, like a very yeah. simple conversation. I know if I have a limiting belief here. I can go back to my mind and go, I've been here before. I know how to succeed. What were the steps that I took? Right. And then that second one is, and if there's somebody who can remind me of who that person was, 
that's part of my process. I got to, I got to hop on the phone with Luke real quick. And let me oh, send a quick, cool. let me, let me send a quick text message to so-and-so let them know I'm about to hop on stage because I know, I know yeah. just like that coach, just like the guy that was on, who was like, Hey, like throw your fastball with conviction tonight. Right. Same concept. Yeah. Like you yeah. think that I'm facing JD Martinez back in whatever year it was before my career was over, that I didn't have some sort of nerves right going into that three, two count. Damn right. I did. Yeah. But then there's the belief in my catcher. Doesn't even put down the sign. He knows it's a three, two count, three, two count. He knows I'm throwing a split, but there's conviction. He was my guy. Find right. that person. Yeah. That's cool. It kind of goes along with that, that uh, you have the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? Like who are, who are your people? And if you level those up, you're going to go with them, right? So uh, they say if you hang around with five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. But if you hang around with five losers, you'll be the sixth loser, right? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, that's part of that's part of the strategy. So for limiting belief, that's what it is. That's what I would get. Yeah. And that's what I try yeah. to help other folks kind of find yeah. out. And it's not the run of the mill of who they think they, they should be talking to. Yeah, I might need a Bob Turner. I also might need someone who's going to neutralize or like, keep me very calm and still because they know that I'm very erratic. So like right. that's somebody that's going to be in my corner. that's going to help me. Yeah. Somebody that knows what you need to hear at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Valuable. Your series of coaches, whether they are right. informal or formal. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. I heard, I've, I've read some of your stuff and one of the expressions you use in, in your marketing is be where your feet are. Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means to you. Ah, presence. Yeah. I think one of my mantras and one of the purposes that I try to share and, and live out is always choose, always choose presence over preference. And it's the biggest okay. gift that we can give somebody because we may prefer to be doing something else. I mean, a lot of times we are, but if I'm present in that moment for myself or for the person in front of me, that's the greatest gift that you can give a leader. Right. Or yeah, that's the greatest gift you can give as a leader. Sure. My presence. I'm listening. I'm connected to you. You and can have, I'm sure you can have more impact in three minutes with somebody if, you, if you're just listening and engaging than if you spend 10 or 15 minutes just kind of, you know, looking around and not being present, right? It's the biggest, it's the number one thing that gets rolled up to a lot of the work I've done in the past five years and how I try to show up for my people personally and professionally. Yeah. A lot of it rolls up to not being able to listen and connect with, with your people and likely because you are not connected to yourself and what matters. Yeah. That personal development path. And I've been on it here for a while. It can be, it be a bumpy road. You got looking behind some doors and you're not, you know, you might be a little bit scared of what you might find, right? Oh, you <laughs> definitely will be. I, yeah. I, I shared this the other day that you come to me as a client, whether you are C-suite executive, right? Billion dollar or million dollar business, or you're just starting out in your career. And I'll say, look, I'm not going to coach you out of your situation. Right. I'm going to coach you in. And by me coaching you in, you may get more than what you signed up for. And if by then you are going to get out of your situation, that is not on me. But my goal is to coach you in. And then once we do that, no, it's yeah. cool. Love it. What's your, uh, 
what's your sweet spot? You've worked with groups, you do some leadership stuff, you work one-on-one, I'm sure. Uh, where do you like to be? And, and if you could do one thing, say, for the, for the next couple of years, wh- where would you land? Ah, it's tough. I feel like I like to work with leaders in a space that are more disciplined than I am. (laughs) And by that, by that, it's the people who have to not only be themselves, but people. And those people also include their whole family, their friends, right? They come to me and you are a leader in your own right of, let's say, a professional sports club, a major, major league pitching coach, or you are an enterprise sales leader. You are responsible for you, first and foremost. Right. You have a ton of pressure. Your discipline has to be on point. You have your targets. You can't miss them. However, you also got a family. You also got friends. You also have reports that look up to you. And you want to be the best at all of those. Those are the people that I like to work with. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, I'll ask you a question. Um, do you feel like your your time in athletics, or specifically baseball, um, in playing for the coaches and high performers and people that you were clearly around at that level, you feel like that kind of put you in a better spot to be doing the kind of work you are today? A hundred percent. Yeah. Until probably the last two years, I didn't really give it any weight. And that's part of yeah. my mission now is to give it some, to talk about it, to be here with you talking through it. True. I never introduced myself. I never mentioned that I played. I would let somebody look me up on LinkedIn and then all of a sudden ask me about my professional baseball experience. Wow. Uh, I, I lived from, a, I think I was raised, whether it's my godfather, who's my hero, you know, with my parents, as I mentioned in my heroes, uh, my grandparents are humble, right? Like, yeah, janitor, CEO, treat them the same way, live that way. Yep, for sure. Didn't need to, to tout, tout what I did until right. I realized over the last couple of years when people would ask me, because they would literally say, Charlie, you played professional baseball. How was that experience? What did you learn from it? And I would share some of it. And they say, why are you not talking about this? And I always thought it was an ego thing. Oh, I didn't want to, like, it's okay, it's fine. Yeah. And I realized some of the lessons can actually help people. And this goes back to service. Yeah. We know the difference yeah. of somebody who is touting and who is touting yeah. to serve. Um, and yeah. through that has opened, opened, opened me up the past you know, six months to share and well, to that's cool. through it. And that's what I'm excited to be able to do. Yeah. And you can do it in a, a, a humble way. I, w- I was working with a, like a, for my coaching stuff, working with a branding company, they drill down to what your avatar is or what your niche is or who you should be working with. I'm like, well, what do you, what do you know how to do? I'm like, hmm, suffer. I know how to suffer. I'm like, what are you good at? I'm like, putting myself in a bad spot for a long time. Mm. Like, I'm better than that other guy at that. So I'm super tough and whatever. But okay, let's get into the mindset of that. Yeah. All right. And how can you take that and apply it to helping somebody else get through either an athletic event or tough thing at work or dealing with, um, you know, 
scraping through a, a bad cash flow situation or when do I hire my next person or how do I deal with overwhelm and chaos? Because they all come back to the space right here, you know, and how you deal with it. That's powerful, Bob. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's reflecting back now on what I would answer. I think that's part of the reason why my, my company's name is CLR Connection because connection is what I do. Right. Uh, whether it's connecting you to you or you to other people, I think that as a community hub, as somebody who I truly believe uh, there's a connection we all have amongst each other, we have to make it for ourselves. I, I like to be that connection point. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, I, you're clearly good at it. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're pretty darn successful at it, um, that you don't have to look too hard for work. I, I'm Try. guessing that, yeah, it's going good for you. Um, what's, uh, how do people get a hold of you? Yes. Uh, you can find me via the website, of course, which is clrconnection.com, but I am uh, fairly active on Instagram more than any other social channel. Uh, so Charles L. Ruiz, I mean, it's CLR is my initials, um, but Charles yep. L. Ruiz for Instagram. Easy to find. And then yeah. Yeah, easy to find. And that's where you get me talking, talking mindset, talking identity, talking communication. And then of course it. LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn, I think is, is something that me being from the business world, you know, a bit, I'm kind of transferring yeah. both. You'll see me a bit more right. active on there as well. Yeah. Now I, uh, I've got a feeling this isn't our last conversation. No, we so. might be hanging out in a couple of weeks, Bob. <laughs> I'll show you around Sebago Lake. Um, what I always do at the end is, as I usually say to somebody, Hey, you've got the floor. Like you've got a bunch of people that have watched this and we're not, you know, we're not, you know, uh, Ed Milet here or anything, but, but we're, we're getting out to a few people and it's been fun and we're building the audience. But if there was somebody that's struggling or somebody that's some of what we've said today has resonated with somebody, what would you want to leave people with as a, as a, uh, a parting shot? Probably a bit what I said earlier, choose presence over preference. As a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a son, as a friend, as a colleague, if we can choose to be present with the people that are in front of us, genuinely present, they will feel it. They will feel it. And if we can do that as a gift to be of service to them in that moment, you may not need to say a word, but if they know that you're present, they'll remember that feeling. They'll remember you. And that's what we want. We want them to yeah. be able to know that you were present for them in that moment because you never know what that can do and how that can change someone's life. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. They say the best way to help yourself is to help someone else. And, and I said, well, that's selfish, right? But really, it's selfless, you know? Um, I'm right. So anyway, man, super cool to talk with you and connect. Um, like I said, I, I think we're going to be talking more. I hope, I hope we're able to, to connect even if it's for, for a cup of coffee or something when you're up this way. I know you'll be with family, but... Um, please do reach out. Um, I'd love to show you around the area or, or uh, let you know where the good restaurants are and all that stuff. So uh, we'll make um, it happen. Thank, you. thank you for coming. Guys, we'll put his notes, uh, his, his contact info in the show notes and all that stuff. This has been the, the Summit Podcast uh, coming at you guys uh, virtually this week. We're normally in person, but the only way I'm going to get out to, to more people is to do it on here on, on Riverside or Zoom or whatever whatever platform we choose. Charlie, thank you very much. Good luck in all your endeavors. Thanks for taking the time to be on and uh, appreciate having you. Thanks I appreciate again. you, Bob. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right.